0: So this is uh, this is Billy Jo. She is from Home for Good, and I'm going to ask her first of all just to introduce herself, tell us a bit about who she is, and then we are going to find out a bit about her story, and a bit about Home for Good and her connection with Home for Good and what she does with Home for Good, etc. So first of all, Billy Jo, who are you?
1: First and foremost, I am mum and wife. Uh, my husband Dominic is with us today, and my son is, I think, up in your youth group. So he's up there playing, and our daughter is at home. Playing? Uh, Playing? Playing? That's what they do, don't they? (laughs) Playing, (laughs) playing. (laughs) Um, And our daughter is at home. She went to a different church this morning and is with her youth group this afternoon. Um, Yes, and I am a licensed lay minister for Rochester Diocese, um, but I also work for Home for Good.
0: Brilliant. So we met you a number of months ago, um, <clears throat> as planned, in a pub. And you were trying to find out a bit about us. But to be honest, once we started hearing your story, we just wanted to find out all about you. And you kept trying to say, no, I want to hear about you. No, like, like no, we want to hear from you. Your story is wonderful. So um, we uh, invited Billy Joe to come and be with us. Um, So, yes, it's under the auspices of Home for Good, and absolutely, and we want to hear about Home for Good, and they're brilliant, and we're a Home for Good affiliated church, and all that kind of thing. But actually, your story is really the backdrop to your involvement in Home for Good. So, do you mind just telling us a bit about your story, please?
1: I can give you a whistle stop tour. Um, I was uh, born in Medway Towns, and so Kent's always been kind of home area. but I was born into a family that went on to be quite chaotic. Um, we grew up on a council estate, and with that comes a really different type and way of living. This is in the 80s, so um, employment and things like that, they'd shut the dockyard, so uh, it's a quite an impoverished area. But um, I'm one of three, and from a very early age, uh, social services was in and around our family and our story, due to the chaos that we were having um, at home behind closed doors and also within the estate. We weren't really the only family that would have been on the social care um, watch list. (coughs) Um, I am the oldest of three siblings, and uh, we went into care at different times, and we were split up um, at each of those times as well. There wasn't any one time that we were able to be kept together as a sibling group. Um, So, in and around all that chaos and chaotic living and schools being involved, social carers being involved, um, I experienced growing up just wanting to find belonging. And on our estate, um, you kind of had two paths really, you were either in or you were out, and I decided I wanted to go with the in crowd, and they were a local estate gang. Um, getting into trouble, causing mischief, setting fires, doing all the normal stuff kids do. Um, (laughs) And so that chaotic upbringing soon began to mean that I settled into crime and criminality. So from a very young age, I remember probably around about the age of nine, started mixing in and around um, drugs, drink... Um, back in the day, then, you would do things with um, gases and things like that, and, yeah. you know, mess about with all of that. So that started a trajectory of me being in and around this gang. By my early teens, I was very affiliated within the gang. I was at quite a leadership level. Um, but what you have to do to get there was mean make yourself really scary. So I did things I'm not very proud of, and I did things to people that I'm extremely not proud of. Um, to get my way up there, um, because the higher you got up, the more you were respected and looked out for. So that escalated quite a lot. Um, I did try to get some settled living because I decided that actually probably education was going to be my way out of that because a lot of my friends were being arrested, going to prison or dying or becoming pregnant. Um, And I've kind of begun to realise I wanted a different um, route. However, my past caught up on me, and I was arrested at 17. And subsequently, three years later, through that arrest, luckily, still as a young offender, I found myself in prison at 20. um, Which gives you a lot of time to think about things and life and what's going on. Um, My conviction held as a young offender, so I didn't go to adult prison, I went to young offender's prison, um, which was really quite lucky, and my local prisons were full, so I went to Colchester, and I didn't have any visitors, no one came to see me, so all of that belonging, all of that fitting in, all of that um, didn't really happen, or no one came through for me when I went to prison. And so that kind of is a bit of a wake-up call, And a real crucial time. My father um, got involved. He was never involved in my growing up. Gave me the opportunity during that time to move to the Isle of Wight, which is where I can see God just took the reins of my life. Not that I wanted to know him or have church in my life. um, Because I met my husband on the Isle of Wight. And we began a friendship at first that soon turned into us having our daughter. Really rather quickly. But he was a Christian, And so in and around... Yes, he still still is. is.
0: (laughs) 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 He's just said after being here this morning, he's not (laughs) sure.
1: Yeah, so he he was a Christian. His friends were Christian, but they didn't live on the Isle of Wight. Dominic grew up in the church we now serve in the church, and our family serves the church. So in dating, we found out that we had quite a few similarities and... He had absolutely no idea of all of what I've just told you, and more. <laughs> because I don't have all morning to share everything with you. Um, but he knew nothing. He met me as Billy Joe, and that all of that was shut and closed, and I was making a new life for myself. New friends, no one knew, other than my dad and my stepmom. Um, so, that was that. I then found out his dad worked with my uncle, and suddenly I started to think or, oh. oops, um, he could find out some things about me that I would rather he know from me. And so began a really important phase of our relationship where I began to slowly, very, very slowly, open up and tell Dominic who I was and what I had come from. Um, and
0: how long had you been together when, that, when you started being that open?
1: Can I be very open? We had our daughter within a year of being together. And So heading into becoming a parent with the background that I had was really, really scary because I didn't have any family knowledge or building blocks as to what positive parenting would look like. Um, So suddenly I was in this position about to be a mum and the only experience of parenting I had had was an absent father, an abusive mum. very, very quickly, I had to start being honest about what my fears were in becoming a parent um, and how, that's, how that was going to work out, because we had no idea. Because I knew how I didn't want to parent. Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> but I had no idea how you could positively <clears throat> parent. And so those sorts of conversations. But the prison thing was quite some time, about three years. yeah. So wow. this, you know, this was stuff that was really, really hard for me to yeah. even face myself. Um, because it is so dirty and it was so disgusting. You know, the way I behave with people was awful. And so to say that and to come out with that... Um, but um, God does the rest. But, yeah, he deals with really messy things, and I'm so grateful. Yes, um, yes. So... And, and that went on. But we had our son... We, we got married and we had our son. But in between all those times, Dominic and I would come back to where we now live, Welling, And I would have the opportunity to be invited to church, which I'd go to every now and again. Not necessarily openly go to because I was quite anti-church, definitely anti-God. Because the messages in the sermons were, um, you know, this God of love, compassion, kindness, caring. And, you know, this 20-something-year-old would sit there and say, really? Because, mate, you weren't in any of that. (laughs) <laughs> you weren't anywhere. And the two people that created me, if you're meant to be this creator, why did you give me to them? Because, you know, they really hurt me. So that I sat there in that kind of position and everybody was, hi, how you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I want to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. So
0: this lot know that feeling. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay. And and slowly but surely I made friends with those people while we were away and then we had our son and in 2007 we moved lock, stock and barrel from the Isle of Wight back to where my husband now lives. Well, my husband grew up, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Back to where
0: my husband... It turns out you just split up.
1: (laughs) Back to where... Sorry. Back to where he grew up and so church became every Sunday then just occasionally or at weddings. And... I started to get more... Probably the most grumpiest period of my life with church because it started to be every week and then these people started arriving at my house and then Dominic <laughs> said, you know, B, can we start... We need another sale group. Can it happen from this house? And I'm like... <laughs> it didn't go down very well. Um, <clears throat> so I was, I, it was a real tricky time for me because actually what I was just trying to do to was you. build... What I was trying to do was build another defence wall in front of hundreds of defence walls um, because these people were really genuinely nice and I was starting to make friends with them. And our daughter was going regularly and in actual fact, I sit here today out of her testimony because she challenged me about Christ and Um. she was seven. She challenged me about Christ and who she is in Christ and that he can transform her and I shouted at Dominic and said, this is Colt, they're brainwashing her. But because of my upbringing, I knew that I'd promised my children, if I didn't know the answer, I'd try and find it out. Because wow. I don't have all the answers. Wow. And so I went on an alpha course to disprove <laughs> that God is real. <laughs> to disprove that God is real, that everybody in that room was crazy because my knowledge of God was this guy, and I never figure out how he doesn't fall through the cloud. This guy (laughs) sat on a cloud who was quite mean and grumpy and would make me live my life by rules. I discovered Jesus through Alpha. I discovered Jesus for me, not because everybody was telling me it's what I needed in my life, which I had had. I discovered him for me, and he made sense for me, to me. It was a very personal journey. He knows me so, so well, though, and I said this this morning, he knows me incredibly well that just like dieting, I stop. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not really good at kind of carrying on things. And I think he knew that so well within me that I gave my life to him in 2008 and in 2009, um, I found myself in intensive care. That period of time was horrendous awful for my family, for my children, it happened so quickly, my son was so young, he went on to have other issues um, with separation and things, Um, because on a Thursday, I'd had my tooth removed um, and on the Saturday afternoon, I was fighting for my life in King's College Hospital in ITU, and it was horrendous for everybody, and it was horrendous for me, but it was also, and this is the point of the story and God's story, those five days were a huge encounter of Jesus Christ in person, for real, lock, stock, and barrel. Can't take it away. Can't change it. Can't deny it. That Jesus is real.
0: So you were put into an induced coma. Is I was. That correct?
1: I was in induced coma because my body was under um, quite significant infections. Um, so the coma was induced by the staff and many people, including um, their, at the time, the nurses and things on the ward were like, well, you know, the meds play around a bit and, you know, you're coming kind of in and out and things like that. And I'm like, no, nah, I know what I know. <laughs> I know what I know. I know what I experienced. And when I was in intensive care under his full presence, that he dealt with some really, really significant healing that had needed to happen. And in actual fact, I joke about it, but I reckon he needed 100% of my attention to do what it was we <laughs> needed to do. Because um, I get distracted really easily. And I am so thankful that he took the time to work with me, strengthen, uphold me, build me into what I have you know, become now, to share his love with the rest of the world. And I went into hospital one person. My husband was, knew that person. I came out of hospital, and we had no idea who I was. <laughs> it, honestly, we had absolutely... Everything had changed. It was I was 28 years old, and it was like I was born new. Everything changed. Things I liked, things I don't... Things, I, I was a smoker, I couldn't smoke half, I can't, I can't even abide it now. There's just, the, the knitting and the change was
0: significant. And grass? <laughs> it's
1: a different type of grass now. No, no, like no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, butterflies, grass, seasons, everything works for a reason under the authority of our creator God. And that was just a sense of awe all the time was amazing, but the, the 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 turn and the change that happened in intensive care was, I'd, I'd, as I'm as I'm sat here now is how I was talking to God in my head. My my body was was made to lay still. I couldn't move. You know, people, all these noises, buzzes, every knew everything that was going on, and He was here. He was here inside, just talking, and you know, and I'd got to the point where medically. I was exhausted. I was so, so tired. I'm a, I'm a really strong person and I'll fight for justice. Um, and righteous, I get righteously angry and things like that. So I, I can really, really put up a good fight. Um, there was 24 hour notice given on my life. Uh, the, they were uncertain as to the outcomes. My friend Rachel messaged the other day to say, she remembers praying over the 24 hours and through, through tears. And I, um, We've done do a timeline, and I can pin that down to a point where I just said, "God, you know, you're so awesome, and you're so amazing, and I really like being here with you next to you. And if this is an inch of what heaven's going to be like, I'm ready to go. I'm so tired. The kids will be okay. My husband, give him a wife. I won't like her, but you know, (laughs) the kids need a mum. They need someone to do the cooking, the cleaning, the washing, the ironing, the shopping. You (laughs) know." <laughs> um, I had, I, you know, I'd sorted out all the, 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 the stuff that needed sorting sure. and just said to him, Lord, Lord, it's time. It's time I'm tired. But he's so good because what I hadn't sorted was I was laid in my beds with so many people fighting for my life to keep me alive that I hadn't sorted leaving I hadn't sorted actually going, and and it was a great option. It's, I mean, the presence, the comfort of heaven, the comfort of heaven was calling. And I saw a picture of my husband and my two children, and my heart tore, and I said, I can't leave them, send me home, and I'll serve you every single day. Day later, 10 years today, this day, 10 years ago, I left ITU and went and moved to the ward. And I spent the following five days giving myself a target every single day to have each tube taken out because I needed to see my kids. But I didn't want them seeing me in the state I mean, I was, I was a mess. <laughs> I'd had five major drains in my neck. I couldn't talk, couldn't eat. My, my body had swollen because of the infection, and I was in a mess. I stank. Horrible. I <laughs> hadn't showered in five days. Um, and the doctor who signed the 24-hour notice on my life in ITU was the doctor who signs my discharge papers. Who had said, "I don't have the faith that you have," because they all knew I was a Christian by then. Because the minute I could start talking, <laughs> well, guess what, guys? <laughs> I'm afraid of you. Um, and he said, "I don't have the faith that you have." But what I do know is that I should not be signing this piece of paper and you should not be leaving this hospital. I shouldn't have even been out of intensive care.
0: So you came out a different person. Um, you relearned each other to some degree, etc. Um, yeah. You started a business. Or yeah, had a business.
1: I, I had a business at that time. And again, you know... Uh, I was a childminder, so my going into a hospital on the Saturday meant people had to find childcare on the Monday. And I knew all of this I'm, I'm, I, I, when I could move, because they, they do the levels um, of inducement, and they have to bring you up to a certain level to see if your consciousness is still there and that you've not slipped off. Um, and I remember being able to just very, very quickly and briefly move my arm, and I signed for baby... And Dominic, he knew straight away, and he said, it's fine, it's fine, everyone's all right, you've just got to get better. Um, and then I went back into it. But that was all constantly in my mind. So again, you know, I'm working it all through, like, ah, I've let people down. Um, and we worked through that. But some, what had happened with the healing is that he had gone into, you know, being a looked-after kid and all that. He'd gone into all that chaos, and he had, he had made sure on a certain... For me, that he was there the entire way through that process. So the business carried on. My faith grew so quickly. I grew so quickly. I I was hungry. So I went to study. I went to study theology. Um, I did four years to become a lay minister, but I was hungry. I grieved the 28 years that I hadn't had Jesus. And I wanted more. Um, and really, I can't get back the presence of Jesus like I did then, like had then, but he's with us all the time. And you can't get it back that strongly, but I was looking to feed that hunger of wanting to be that close to him again. So I um, carried on the business, but throughout the study and with the story and with the experiences, because I do pray and for healing and things, because I firmly believe that Jesus will show up and do his thing. Um, LAUGHTER And he, throughout that, I discovered a sense of calling to quit the business that was a very successful business. People around us thought it was crazy to step out into ministry, but we had no idea what that ministry was going to look like or what it was even going to be. There was no clear. Great and wise people were praying around us and nobody was getting anything. So it was literally a step of faith um, to continue that process. For about 18 months... Um, went for lots of different jobs, um, jobs I should have been able to do and wasn't getting any so by faith we carried on and it's really really hard living life in faith by faith even when you've had the encounter I've had it is so so tough um, because what you're doing is you're believing in something to answer when Jesus is ready to answer and so we did the day today, and I Got the opportunity to apply. I knew about the work of Home for Good because it's a charity that's been around six years. I knew of the work of Home for Good from the early stages. And then this job came up for Kent. And I looked at it and I thought, mm, no way, that's going to be a job for somebody who's done ministry, who's, you know, it's just a pilot project. This is brand new. No one's ever done it across the country. This is definitely not the job for me. And then a friend emailed it to me and said, I really think you ought to apply for this. So we began praying and applying. And I got the job, and I'll share, as I did this morning, this is, how, this is cra- how crazy my life walking with Jesus can be. But he's good. I was so... I knew it was the last, it was the last interview that I was going to go for for a ministry role at this point, because then I had, knew I needed financially to look for secular jobs. <clears throat> and this was the last interview. And as I walked to the interview, <laughs> I saw a bus um, depot advertising, and, and I'm, I'm shaking. I'm thinking I'm going to the Evangelical Alliance offices. Like, oh my, what? I'm just not ready. I'm, I'm not cut out for this. And I saw on the billboard um, this sign as I was changing my shoes, like I shared this morning. Because you do that, you go to London in your trainers, change your shoes, apparently, and then you get on the train in the trainers. I've never been to London, but you did that. (laughs) So that's what I was doing. And I looked at this this, um, bus thing, and it literally, I've got a picture of it, it literally says, are you interview ready? (laughs) And I went, are we interview ready? Uh, I don't know and I decided walking there I would walk into the interview and God would do his thing and I would walk out and i got the job
0: (laughs) fantastic and um, what is your job
1: so I'm the Kent coordinator and I do everything from walking with people who are looking to inquire however long that might take both fostering and adoption and um, Working with churches like yourself who are now a home for good church, coming to encourage and inspire you, support you, you have a champion here, Um, we can do training, run training, all the in-between things, Um, but vitally it is to sit and walk alongside churches and church congregations who think that fostering and adoption is a vocation and a calling in ministry because that's what we think it is.
0: So the aim of Home for Good is to find a home for every child that needs one?
1: It is indeed, yes. And um, I shared this morning that this is a fantastic book. It's just been rewritten with all the new stats and updates. But in this book is something that struck me, and before I even had the job something that struck me so vitally, and this is why I I, I believe the vision of Home for Good because it's the outworking of me belonging in my church now and the family and everything that's missing from the building blocks is is supported in the family, and I found that at 28. But I I was in the care system and I had all that chaotic upbringing and social workers and things, and I hit some of the statistics as an adult uh, uh, growing up because of the instability of growing up. And what we're we're aiming for as a a home for good is vulnerable young children need families. This is the UK. 92,000 children in the UK, now as we sit here, are needing families, church. In here is a section that changed my life. If one family in every church across the UK was to foster or adopt, that's just foster or adopt, one family... And the church wrap around support and care for them, we would have no waiting list within a year, and more than that we 'd have homes waiting for children as they come into care. Church, I think we need to change a generation and a culture
0: yeah, <laughs> so we were talking earlier and um, uh, Billy Joe said that every day, 109 children go into care in the UK, statistically. So every day, 109 children go into care. So you... How can we... I mean, someone can't just decide, oh, do you know what? Yeah, I think I might go and adopt. It, it kind of needs a bit more than that. How, how does that work for someone...
1: So, if you are considering fostering an adoption, first and foremost is to sit down and a chat with me or someone from the Home for Good team and if you do want to be in touch with us afterwards and you can fill out one of these forms and I will be in contact with you after today um, and then it's looking at your home, your house, do you have a spare room, you know, who are you as a person and you, you're not even starting a process then, this is just information finding and exploring and I'm here with champions to walk and do that with you to the point where you're looking to process and at the point where you're looking to process we put you into one of our pathways or you might decide you want to go with a local authority or somebody else don't have to go down one of our pathways um, and then you start to formally process because we don't do the approving to be foster carers or adopters Um, we do the supporting and the advocating.
0: So is there a particular type of person then that is, makes an ideal adopter, fosterer?
1: No. That's a very hard question. No. There's lots of myths around who can and can't. And again, in conversation, we can go through those, but single people, um, LGBT, all those things. Age, there's no age limit. You have to be over 21 and have a spare room. They're the, only, they're the two starting blocks.
0: And vaguely stable life, one would assume.
1: Well, uh, <laughs> a, sta- a stable life. They're not looking for white picket fenced. I've had no trouble, experienced no trouble in my life because we're looking for um, robust, adults to look after very broken vulnerable children and young people home for good sadly exists because we advocate for the hardest to find homes for and guys I'd sit here today and this is this is true okay hardest to find homes for because they're over four they're over four hardest to find homes because they're siblings siblings who have experienced so much and can't be kept together BME, teenagers, do you know, do you know, I'm going to get cross now. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm going to get cross now. Do you know what? I'm disgusted that I've read headlines saying that we've put teenagers in B&Bs and caravan parks because there aren't families willing, ready to wait for them. I'm disgusted that I had to do probation back in the hands of my mum who abused me because I had no other address to go back to. This is not on. This is the UK. It's not on. Sorry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't need to apologise in any way. You wanted to finish with a story. I did. Please do.
1: The restoration of Christ in everybody's life is so valuable and so important that 2019, I went to speak at a local church, um, Pip and Jim's, and I was interviewed, a bit like here. And before I was interviewed, another two people were interviewed. After the service, and as here today, I stand at the table and, and wait to speak and meet people. A lady came up to me, and I don't share personal details, I share the scenarios and um, just that I grew up in <clears throat> Medway Towns. And this lady came to me and she looked at me and she said, Did you grow up in Melville Court? yes do you have a sister and she named her I won't for today Uh (laughs) yes and I'm I will never forget it she looked at me and she said BJ I I was your foster carer they knew me as BJ because that's how I grew up you don't know this because this has happened since we met um Candy stood before me. We broke down. It was a very biblical moment, very god. <laughs> we, we broke down, we hugged, we cried. My poor CEO didn't know what to do because um, Bill had come to speak at that service. And she said, I have photographs of you playing in a, my garden. And I've met her for tea and coffee. I've been to the house that she looked after us in. Um, and we've gone on now for her to meet my family and my children. And but do you know the question I asked her, were you a Christian? Because what it showed me is that from day dot, I couldn't change or he couldn't change the outcome and what was going to happen and what happened at the hands of people. But what he could do is he could make sure at the age of 39, I was given a message that he was caring from the beginning, that he was there from the beginning because of church, because of Christians. And so I couldn't change the outcome, and I couldn't change prison, and I couldn't do any of that. But my goodness, Psalm 139, verse 7, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I hide from you? I wasn't. He was there. But he was there in the form of a foster carer who was a Christian and prayed. She prayed, and she said, I used to think it was really silly that I would pray, you know, would pray. And I said to oh, I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you enough for praying for me because it's those prayers that have gone on not to be mustard seeds anymore, but to grow that I can be here and testify that the Lord Jesus Christ is amazing.
0: Should we stand and thank you, God, that first and foremost you are a father. You're a good, good father. And where Billy Joe has literally been in prison, God, you are with us in our metaphorical prisons too, in the prisons that we have in our own lives. I thank you that there is never a time when you're not with us. We pray for all those children right now in care in some way. We pray, Father, that we would have your heart for those children. In the same way, God, your heart melts for them, you also have that indignant, righteous anger that says, this is not good enough. This is not what I planned. This is not what I want for my children. Father, I pray you will speak to us about praying, about families who might consider adopting or fostering that god you would put that call into their life and say oh, i would love you to do this will you start exploring it we will we'll journey this out together father will you also please call people who say well i don't think i feel called to do this but i do feel called to wrap around you and help you as you do it and yeah for those people who say well i don't fit either of those categories but you know what I'm really committed to praying thank you so much for Billy Joe Lord and her family and her vulnerability and willingness just to speak of who she is and who you are we love the way you and her hang out more of that Lord and where she said she can't get back that feeling that she had I pray that she does and this side of heaven too give an encounter with you that's like that God thank you for these precious moments we have with you thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it for more information visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby in the meantime have a great week and know just how loved you are